have your copy of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 14. Actually, we'll be in John 13 for just the last few verses of John 13. We're living in an age of what they call the age of anxiety. uh, I guess the plaintive cry of society is best summed up by a journalist in the Chicago Tribune a few years ago. And he said, I've seen the future and it doesn't work. (laughs) That ain't a very good outlook, is it? But I've seen the future to the Christian and it does work. And we've done sung about it this morning. To the world, it doesn't work. But to the Christian, we ought to be real excited. Uh, in John 13, Jesus has probably displayed one of the greatest examples of humility that's ever been displayed. In a room, in an upper room, as we want to stay in our text, this is all these chapter 13 and 14 happens in the upper room. Jesus is around some men who are jockeying for position. These men are full of pride. We have men that are uh, betrayers. We have Judas in this room. We have Peter who uh, will eventually be a denier. We have Thomas who will be a doubter. We have James and John and they're jockeying for position. Who's going to be on the right hand of the Father? Who's going to be on the left hand of the Father when you come into the kingdom? And so these questions, these disciples, they had not quite figured out why Jesus had come, why Jesus was going to... Uh, as he said, die on a cross. And really, uh, to some of these disciples, Jesus had not quite lived up to their expectation. In this upper room, uh, we see that Jesus and nobody else going to wash the feet of the disciples. So Jesus grabs a towel and he grabs a basin. And he begins to wash the feet of the disciples, saying that uh, I have not come just to wash your feet, but I've come to die on the cross. Then there's one there at supper, and Jesus being the guest, uh, having a guest of honor by the name of Judas. Judas uh, betrays the Lord. He had a choice. Jesus said, if I dip this sop and give it to the one that accepts this sop, this toast of honor, uh, he'll be the one that betrays me. And of course, Judas being on the left hand and John on the right, and maybe Peter being within speaking distance, maybe across this little table, uh, there Judas receives the sop and leaves to deny the Lord. We see that Jesus in this room, this upper room in verse 31, he he says that this all happened, that the Son of Man may be glorified. He then says in 33, verse 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while am I with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto you, the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Jesus says, now that one has betrayed me, the rest of you in this room, and if you're going to love the world, you're going to have to love each other, begin loving each other in this room. I'm talking about you, Matthew. You used to be a tax collector. Peter, you're a rough, gruff fisherman. And, and, and James and John, you're worried about the politics of society. And, and, and uh, Thomas, you need to get some assurance. You, you doubt too much. And I need all of you men in this room to love each other. If we can't love each other, friend, we can't love the world. If we can't love each other, we can't show them Jesus. And so he says, this new commandment, this fresh commandment, this this commandment that I'm leaving with you since I'm going away, I want you to love each other as you have been loved by the Lord. Uh, Men, I'm about to go to the cross and I'm about to show the greatest example of love that's ever been shown. Love each other. He says in verse number 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if Ye have love one to another. The, the story continues. Look at verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, 
Whither thou goest, or whether goest thou? Lord, where are you going? You keep talking about going somewhere, and you, you keep saying that you're going somewhere that we cannot go. Lord, we, would you tell us where you're going? In verse 36, Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. Well, that's an encouragement. Peter, you, you can't go to the cross with me. I'm going to suffer things. You're going to see things. You're going to experience, or that I'm going to experience, you're going to witness them plucking my beard out. You're going to witness them putting a crown of thorns upon my head. You're going to witness them taking their fist and beating me. You're going to witness them with a cat of nine tails beating me till my organs are exposed in my body. You're going to experience these things as a disciple you can't follow me on the Via Della Rosa. You can't follow me to the cross, but you can follow me after. And Peter, did he ever follow Christ after? Peter doesn't understand that. So verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why canst or why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. So Peter says, Lord, again, why can't I? Questions, questions, questions. Lord, you, you say I can't follow you, but I would lay my life down for you. Look what Jesus says. Jesus answered him in verse 38, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake, Peter? Would you really die for me? Because here in just a few hours, you're going to have an opportunity to stand for me, but you're going to deny me. Not one time. Not two times. Three times. Look at that last verse. Jesus answered and said, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, or this, that means surely or indeed. I say unto you, or I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. I mean, could you imagine, church, just, could you imagine the, the anxiousness in that room? You just had one disciple leave in a very awkward exchange. Jesus just looked at Judas and said, whatever you're going to do, Judas, you need to do it quickly. Now, the, the disciples thought that maybe it was buying some groceries for some things. He, they didn't really quite understand, but there were some awkward exchanges going on in this room at this time. And now the disciples are actually told that Peter is going to deny three times. And by the way, Peter is the strongest of all the disciples. Peter is the roughest, the gruffest. He's the one that has the, I'll defend the Lord. I'll lay my life down. Peter is the one. And Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me. So what's that say about the rest of them? Could you imagine the fear that came over them? Could you imagine the anxiousness that came over them? Could you imagine what happened? And, and listen. Jesus is going to the cross, so think about it. The last statements that Jesus is going to say to the disciples, he is actually saying them right now. Some would think that Jesus would get the guys together and he would say, now, fellas, let me tell you about the way the church ought to be run. You would think that if Jesus got them in the upper room right before his death, you would think Jesus would have laid out maybe how they should preach or maybe he's going to lay out how their life should be, but no. The last things that Jesus says to the disciples is found in chapter 14 and verse number 1. Let not your heart be troubled. The very last thing. 
He didn't say, fellas, I, I, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and I want you to take care of this and make sure this is done. No. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and preach for a little bit. I pray that you would help me in my spirit, calm my nerves, calm my uh, thoughts, bring back to everything that I'd, I'd studied, Lord, just to help our people. Lord, we're thankful that we have this book that can help us in troubling times. God, I pray that you will help us in this crowd. No doubt there's someone here today that has a troubled heart. I pray that they can have a cure today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Reasons why these, these disciples were in agony, as I done told you, Jesus had announced that one of them would be a traitor. Matter of fact, in another gospel, Judas is actually asking the question, is it I, Lord? Judas knew that he would be a, a traitor. Judas, I think, had already uh, predetermined what he would sell our Savior for, 30 pieces of silver, but yet Judas is asking questions. Lord, is it I, other disciples? Lord, is it me? They, they knew that there would be a traitor amongst them. I believe the second reason why there was such agony was Jesus had warned Peter that he would deny him three times. As I said earlier, that is a, a, a huge statement to these disciples that Peter, their leader, if you will, other than Jesus, Peter seemed to be the leader of the disciples, and, and, and their leader's going to deny Jesus three times. But the third reason I believe the agony, and I'm just giving you the setting right now. The third reason is Jesus said, I'm going to leave you shortly. Jesus had notified them that he was going to leave them. That he's going to leave them and give them a, a, a comforter. He's going to say that in just a little bit. And, and so he says, uh, little children, verse 33, I am with you while a little while longer. Ye shall seek me. And as, as I said to the Jews, I now say unto you, in verse number 33, as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, they're going to leave. Jesus is going to leave these disciples, and they fear the fear of them being left by their leader. Now think about it. They start asking questions. Peter asked a question in chapter 13, verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Peter says, Lord, why can't I follow you right now? Then, then skip down to uh, chapter 14 and verse number 5. It, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? So there's another question. Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Then there's another question. I think Philip in verse number 8 says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. He's saying, Lord, if you'll show us the Father, God the Father, it will satisfy us. There's another question from Philip. And then if you go all the way down, even Judas asks a question. He enters back into the scene. In verse 22, Judas said unto him, is Iscariot, not Iscariot, or Judas, but not Iscariot, Lord... How is it 
that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us. Now, this is not the betrayer. This is another Judas, not Iscariot. This is not the same one that's left uh, the upper room. Wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world. So four questions in just a matter of about 20 verses asking Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Lord, why don't you manifest yourself to us? Lord, why are you willing to show the world but not show us? We're your inner disciples. Lord, why can't we go to where you are going questions but Jesus says in the midst of all these questions let not your heart be troubled I feel like this morning in just studying our text and that's why I'm actually taking the next two weeks this week the following week and the following week to preach out of John 14 on let not your heart be troubled why because everyone is dealing with a troubled heart Everybody. I, I was preparing this message and I was looking over here in the margin of my Bible. I like to write in my Bible, just in the corners. I, I'll write dates of stuff and when I preach this message. And over here in this corner, I preached, and it says this, preached a funeral on 1230, so almost the, the end of the year, 1230-16 at BBC and then it says 14 saved at this funeral. Well, I started thinking, man, whose funeral did I preach on December the 30th, 2016? And it was a, a young lady that attended our church here in her, about her mid-30s. She got saved here and got baptized here, her and her brother. And, and uh, I remember they, they came, I mean, literally, they, she was in the military and, and uh, he was uh, lost and, and she was really concerned about him. And so she brought him to church, but both of them got saved. It was an amazing story. She had served our country for I don't know how many years and uh, had even went overseas and, and battled some PTSD and had a drinking problem. I'll never forget when she got saved. I'll never forget when she got baptized. It was wonderful. She could, could never quite get peace in her heart about some things that she had witnessed and some things that had happened. At the age of 38 years old, she drove her car over here to the Chick-fil-A here on Fairview Road in that parking lot and ended her life two days before Christmas. I got the call that night and they said, Pastor, would you, because she had been attending our church, and so the dad called me frantically and the brother, and they said, uh, Pastor, have you seen the news? And I said, no. And they said, uh, so-and-so's uh, ended her life. My sister, and, and where do you think she's at? And what do you think? And boy, I, it took lots of talking and counseling and finally we came after Christmas and they said, Pastor, this is when we're going to do the funeral and there were so many folks that came that she knew and, and that funeral, the only thing that I knew to do because it was a troubled, it was a troubling, a troubling thing is to preach on let not your heart be troubled. The reason that we have troubled hearts is because we don't have peace. And actually later in our text it says, look with me in John 14 and verse number 27. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Someone asked me the other day, Pastor, what is peace? How can I have peace in this turbulent world? I like what one commentator said about peace. He said, peace is the possession of adequate resources. 
Applying that to the business world, if someone, if we go through a recession, and they, all these different ones say we may go through a recession. If we go through a recession, who is it that has peace during a recession? It is someone who has adequate resources. Someone who has a savings account. Someone who has uh, maybe prepared for uh, this day to happen. My friend, can I tell you, if it doesn't matter what happens in this world, we have adequate resources. It's called Jesus. It's called the Word of God. It's called the Spirit of God. We have adequate resources. The reason why we have an anxious society today is because they have inadequate resources. I can't imagine going through what the world is going through without Jesus. I can't imagine going through troublesome times without the Lord Jesus and without comfort. I, we need peace, and we need the Prince of Peace. We have it available. And there's just a few things that I want to give you this morning. The first thing is this. Jesus is completely trustworthy. Jesus is completely trustworthy. Look at what he says in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. He said this, ye believe in God. We ought to put an exclamation point there. Believe also in me. Another exclamation point. Why? If you believe in God, believe in his son Jesus. You could say in that first part of verse 1, stop letting your hearts be troubled. That word trouble in the Greek, it's the word terasso, which means distressed or anguished or turmoil. You, you know, you're, you're, you're troubled, you're in turmoil, you, you can't sleep at night, you, you're having problems, you're, you're, you're whatever it is you're going through. Can I just say, listen, stop being anxious, stop being nervous. Stop watching the news all the time. Start looking at the, uh, at the Word of God and start looking ahead because Jesus is completely trustworthy. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. Keep on believing on God. Keep on believing in me. This is a continual believing. This has nothing to do with salvation. I've heard some maybe take this and try to apply salvation, but no, Jesus is not encouraging the believers to hang on in order to get to the shores of heaven. He's encouraging them to, to, to continue to go forward and keep believing and trusting and not mattering what the world does. No matter what happens in this world, Jesus seems to be suggesting that it will be much harder to keep believing on Him. It's not going to get easier, church. It's not going to get easier for you to keep trusting God. Oh, I just can't wait till we get another president in. It's just going to get a little better. It's not going to get better. No matter who's in leadership. Why? The whole system is broken. Our government is broken. Why? Because we're sinful. And we kicked God out years ago. And until Jesus sits on his throne in Jerusalem and rules and reigns for a thousand years, hey, there's no government going to ever be good. So quit looking at politics as the Savior and start looking at our blessed hope. And we have a hope, and that is Jesus Christ. Keep trusting. You say, Pastor, what do I do? When times get tough, you, you keep believing, as he said. You, you believe in God, believe also in me. Hey, even though our faith may be shaken at times, even though we see things and we're like, I don't understand it, why did God do that? Hey, I don't know why, but just keep believing. Keep trusting. You believe in God whom you've never seen, now keep trusting me. 
Even though you don't understand what you are about to see, even though, disciples, you're about to see me go to a cross, you're about to see me get slapped, you're about to see me get crucified, you're about to see some things you'll never get out of your mind, but just keep trusting. And church, let me just say, you're going to see some things that may blow your mind. You may see some things that will rock and shake the, the foundation of this world. And I just can tell you on the authority of Scripture that men are going to wax worse and worse. And there are going to be seducers. There's going to be all kinds of different things. Perilous times is here. But just keep trusting Jesus. Oh, yes. He is trustworthy. You say, Pastor, my job is at hand. I, I just got a bad doctor's report. Pastor, I've got wayward children. Pastor, I got this, I got that. Just keep trusting Jesus. He's completely trustworthy. Here's the second thing is this. Not only is Jesus completely trustworthy, but heaven is a promised reality. Heaven is a promised reality. Look at verse number 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. Heaven is a promised reality. Why? Because every one of us struggle with hurting hearts it may be a man who just received a diagnosis of cancer. It may be someone who's frightened that he may lose his or her job. It may be someone whose heart is agonizing over a child that is away from the Lord. It may be someone whose marriage feels like they're about to collapse. It may be someone who is struggling with a sin or the pain of failure. It may be someone with uncertainty about our nation's future or economy or what tomorrow holds. Listen. We have a Savior who is completely trustworthy, but we also have a place that is promised reality. On the highway headed to see my mom and dad, just about every time I go by this old house, years ago it was an old kind of dilapidated house. Through the years, I uh, started seeing them adding on to it and fixing it up, painting it, making the yard look nice. They have a big sign out front in this yard, and it says, Sister Maria's Palm Reading and Future Teller. Now, somebody's building that house. Somebody's giving some money to fund what's going on there. Why? Because we live in an anxious society. Everybody wants to know what the future holds. Everybody wants to know what tomorrow's forecast is going to be. Today, more than ever, success has come due to the fact that the world is filled with trouble. Doctor's offices are filled in the lobbies because people are filled with trouble. Uh, doctor, I, I can't cope. And doctor, I can't, I can't sleep at night. And doctor, I can't do this. Why? Because I'm anxious. And I don't even know why. The truth is every human heart craves an answer about tomorrow. But Jesus said, let not that heart be troubled. This passage will, will, will heal this passage will heal that heart if you believe that Jesus Christ is completely trustworthy, do you? This, this passage will uh, heal that heart if you believe heaven is a reality. When you go to that funeral home, when you go to that grave, when you get that doctor's report, hey, it, it will heal your heart if you believe that heaven is a reality. Look, look at verse 2. My Father's house are many mansions. What's it speaking of? Heaven. 
There was a Gallup poll uh, revealed just recently that 78% of Americans believe in a place called heaven. That, that, I mean, I'm, that's good. Almost 80%. That's, that's good. But then I, I, what's really staggering is 88% of those 78, so if you take the ones that believe, 88% of them believe that they're good enough to get there. But then you start asking people what heaven is, and oh boy, they don't go to the Bible. They'll start describing all kinds of, it's kind of like them kids that was asked, what's heaven to you? Little kids, six years old. Listen to what these kids said about heaven. There was a little boy by the name of Eric. Eric said this, it's a place where there's lots of money lying around. Boy, that sounds like, <laughs> sounds like heaven to me. A little boy named Scotty said, heaven is up in the sky and you can look down at circuses for free if you want to, except you have to ask God for permission first. That's a deep theologian there. One little honest kid named David said, heaven is kind of a big and you sit around playing harps all day. I don't know how to play a harp, but I suppose I have to pick up one of them dumb instruments pretty soon. One little girl said, heaven will be the happiest part of my dead life. Six years old, she has a dead life. A boy named Tommy blurted out, I don't understand this one, but he said, I know what heaven is, and I don't want to go up there. I want to go to South Carolina instead. <laughs> I thought there was heaven and hell. This kid thinks there's heaven in South Carolina. I'm not really sure what I think about that. But, oh, you get all kinds of different views about heaven. You ask adults. Them were children. You ought to ask adults what they think about heaven. But here we have Jesus in verse number 2. He says, my father's house. There's some misconceptions about heaven briefly. You see the word in there, look at it in verse number 2, the word mansions. Now, often when we read the Bible, we associate mansions with America. How many of you have ever seen a mansion before? Raise your hand. You've seen a mansion. Some of you live in one, right? To the rest of the world, you do. But when we go to mansions in the Bible, we automatically try to go over somewhere to a big, huge house, a gated community, and you pull up, and there's plenty of bedrooms, and there's a big pool in the back, and oh, we think about all these mansions. But if you go to the Middle East and in Israel, there's no mansions. What was Jesus describing mansions? What's the word mansion even mean? Well, the word mansion in, in the Greek, it means an, a, an abode. It means a dwelling place. So what would, what would Jesus be saying, in my father's house are many mansions? Well, here's what they would happen in, in Jewish times, is a father would have a son, and that son would go out one day, and he would get married. And so the, the, the dad, of course, they betrothed their children, and he would pick that bride for his son, and they would plan that day. They would get married, and while they're planning this, the father and the son would come back to the home, and they would add on... An addition, a beautiful addition for him and his bride to be in the same dwelling place with the Father. When Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. See, we in our mind think we're going to go down Moses Avenue and take a left on Noah Lane and we're going to go on down David Boulevard and we're going to get that far away to, from, from God and we're going to be so far away from God He's going to be in the center and we're going to be so, and the better Christian you are the closer to God you become. But that's not true. That's a misconception. 
mansions are something that is prepared for the Father. Here's another misconception that we, uh, we think right now that Jesus is up in heaven and he's got a carpenter's belt on and he's got a hammer and he's, he's building heaven right now. Because I've even heard people say, Jesus was a carpenter down here, so he must be a carpenter up there. Jesus is... Do you realize this? That heaven has been prepared for you for 2,000 years? For 2,000 years, heaven has been waiting on you and I to come. It's a prepared place. You say, well, pastor, tell me how prepared it is. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. John saw it. John saw in Revelation chapter 21, look at in verse number 1, the Bible says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of the heaven, prepared a bride adorned for her husband. I love that. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Aren't you thankful for that? There will be tears, but guess who will wipe them away with that handkerchief of love? God himself. Why will there be tears in heaven? I believe often that the tears would be shed with those that are not there. He said, I'll wipe away all tears. Why would tears be there? Well, notice he, he stops there and then he says, and there'll be no more death and no more sorrow and no crying. Neither uh, be there, uh, shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Go over there in verse number 16. And the city lieth four square in length is as large as the breath. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlings. The length and the breadth and the height are, of it are equal. And he measured the wall thereof in 140 and four cubits according to the measure of a man that is of, that is of the angel. And the building of the wall, as it were, jasper, and the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. You ever seen gold like glass? No, it's a heavenly gold. Ain't nothing like that down here. This is going to be the most celestial, beautiful city you've ever seen. Described here in our text, streets of gold. Verse 21, there'll be a street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent. There'll be 12 uh, gates with 12 pearls. And then it says in verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Boy, that's good. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, uh, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. It sounds like to me this is a real place. It sounds like to me it's a prepared place. It sounds like to me this is a celestial city. And, the, and the, it's a huge city. Matter of fact, the best I could, the dimensions, that heavenly city would be 2,250,000 square miles. That's a big place. Just to give you perspective, the, the city of London, England is 140 square miles. This is a big city. And it's prepared for us. Heaven is a reality. 
Heaven is a prepared place. I, I saw this morning uh, in, our, in our 8.30 service, I saw Tal and Tina Rutledge, and Tal just buried his dad just uh, on, uh, on Friday. Had the funeral for his father. A man that preached the word of God for 65 years. A man that he called father for 65 years. And think about it. What was the comfort in Tao? Uh, how he could sit in church on Sunday and worship the Lord. Hey, what was the comfort? The comfort was, and I'm sure he had a troubled heart. I'm sure he misses his father. But listen to me, listen. What troubles a man? I'll tell you what troubles a man is when he doesn't know God. Hey, but when, what gives a man peace is when he knows where his father is at. And a man could worship the Lord. Why? Because... There's a prepared place. There's a promised reality. But here's the third thing. Our future is guaranteed permanently. Look at verse 3 of John chapter 14, verse 3, and I'll be through. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. Jesus Christ, the infinite God, is trustworthy, He's reliable, He lives forever, and where He is, look at me church, where Jesus is, we've been promised to be with Him forever. Forever. Why are we troubled down here on this earth? Why are we troubled down here and we can't sleep at night and we can't think straight and we're popping pills like they're candy and we're, we're just nervous wreck and we're even relying on earthly substances and maybe even abusive substances and just to cope with life, we're doing things. Why are we doing these things when we have a guaranteed promise forever? You say, Pastor, what if all the banks fail like several of them failed this week? What if they do? What, what if, what if uh, China really comes over like they threaten? Well, what if Russia takes over this? And, and what if all this stuff in Mexico comes up and all this drugs? And, and preacher, I'm just, I don't know how you even do it. I'll tell you how I do it. It's this right here. Well, what if so-and-so gets president? And what if so-and-so does this? And what if this? And Hey, listen. Hey, it's all going to be okay. Why? Because our future is guaranteed. Now, the reason Jesus said all these things in, in chapter 14, we'll be there for a few weeks, the reason Jesus said all these things was because it could possibly get harder to serve Jesus. If you're looking for the easy way, it's not Christianity. If you're looking for the easy way to live, it's not being a Christian and being a true disciple of Jesus because there is promised persecution. Yea, all that live godly shall suffer persecution. Yea, all that live godly. Hey, listen, if you try to be godly in this day, if you try to live for Jesus in this day, there will be persecutions. There will be hard times. But can I tell you, child of God, listen, let not your heart be troubled. Oh, listen, don't let your heart be troubled. Oh, don't be nervous. Don't be anxious. Don't be fretting. You know what? We need to get our joy back. Well, how do you get your joy back? You get your joy back by getting this heart cured. A promised place. A person, Jesus Christ. Do you have a troubled heart this morning? Do you have unanswered questions and fears and doubts? Jesus begins this chapter of answers by simply telling you that we're not home yet. 
We're just not home yet. You ever been driving on a long drive with your kids? I don't know if you don't have kids yet. You're going to experience this one day. Here's the famous question on every drive we have that's anywhere of any length, especially on vacation. Here's the drive. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And the other one is, Dad, I've got to use the bathroom. <laughs> Some of you thought that. Are we there yet? Hey, there's sometimes I want to stop in life and say, Lord, are we there yet? Man, I'm, I'm, I am longing. The older I get, the more I pastor, the more I'm around the people of God, the more this longing heart is desiring a much better place. This earth is broken. It's messed up. It's messed up. Sin has messed it up and, and the world's politics has messed it up and the system is broken. But my friend, listen, we have a much better place. And we read it in Revelation 21 that there'll be none of that junk over there. All of you that's faced hard times and recent hospital visits and recent surgeries and recent this and recent that and you've just had a tough time. I was talking to someone recently and they said, Pastor, the last 12 months have been the hardest of my life. I hate to hear that. I do. I, Joseph, I hate to hear when someone says, and they've served God for years. And you would think that as we approach the golden years, that people in their older life would just have an ease. Maybe, maybe they've served and done their time and they've, they, they've, you know, they served Christ and they're young. They've, and you would think that a preacher of the gospel in their older years would just have time to rest and settle down. But you know what? Not until we get over there. The next breath is not promised. The next step is not promised. Why should we come to church on Sunday when it's raining and cold and we lost an hour of sleep? Because you'll never have this Sunday again. There'll never be another Sunday like this Sunday. You don't know what you'll miss. You don't know what you'll hear. And another thing, the reason why you ought to come to church and worship with your church family is because of that troubled heart. You say, well, Pastor, my heart ain't troubled now. It will be. It will be but I've got a cure, and his name is Jesus. It always struck me that Jesus did not leave them with directions on how to pastor the church. He did not give them a leadership class. He did not give them 12 steps to a better life. He did not give them all kinds of instruction on this and that. Jesus just simply said, let not your heart be troubled. Church, that should be our focus today. Let not your heart be troubled. It's going to be all right. Let's pray.